Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I move that the first regular session of the 66th Idaho Legislature recess, subject to the call of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, but no later than December 31st, 2021. The motion to recess is passed and the House stands at recess. Fast forward 188 days and the House was back in session with a lot on their minds, but with pushback from the Senate. I'm Logan Finney, filling in for Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, the Idaho Legislature returned to the State House in Boise after an already extraordinarily long legislative session this spring. But first, the reconvening session wasn't the only game in town this week. On Wednesday evening, Ada County formally filed a lawsuit against the Redistricting Commission, alleging that the adopted legislative plan unconstitutionally divides Idaho's most populous county more times than necessary. Back on November 9th, I spoke with Ada County Commissioner Rod Beck on the Idaho Reports podcast about their impending lawsuit. The main concern is the multiple splits. They're, they're, they're taking and, and cutting off three sections of Ada County and, and including them with other counties. One is they're hooking up uh, Eagle with all of Jim County. They're hooking up a star with um, Middleton and they're hooking up the southern half of CUNA with Canyon and Owyhee County. And uh, they don't need to do that. There's, there's enough population in Ada County that we can have nine wholly contained uh, legislative districts all within Ada County. We don't want to be cannibalized and that's what they've done. The legislative happenings started Monday morning when the House took up a recommendation and report from the House Ethics Committee, which deemed Representative Priscilla Giddings' conduct unbecoming of a legislator. This does impugn a member. This report in itself impugns a member of this body. To accuse a member of repeatedly lying, half-truths, total disrespect, um, I, I don't understand how disrespect, because there's a lot of people in here I don't respect completely. Um, I don't understand how disrespect is a problem with ethics. And if we start going down this road, um, I think we're in, in grave danger. A vote to, uh, to approve this, this committee report is an affront to the House Ethics Committee process, which I say is broken. It's an affront to integrity. It's an affront to free speech. She shared a link to a news story. She shared a link. In committee, she was asked about it. She was asked if she had posted it. She did not post. She shared a link. Her responses were accurate. They may not be what the committee wanted, but they are accurate. We have standards and we recognize bad behavior. This was bad behavior. It was wrong. The good lady from District 7 knows it was wrong. She was taught better at the United States Air Force Academy, the same principles and standards of responsibility and character I was taught at West Point. I will continue to fight for freedom in a nation that is slowly losing it. 
I would not have done anything differently. I think my intent was pure. But I also know that this is so much bigger than me. I know that nothing I said here today or anything that I have said in the past is going to change your mind. So vote your conscience, and we will move forward, and I will continue to fight for freedom. God bless you all. After a nearly two-hour debate, the House voted 49 to 19 to formally censure Representative Giddings and remove her from her seat on the Commerce and Human Resources Committee. A censure is a formal reprimand and statement of disapproval from the House. That same morning, a total of 36 bills related to COVID-19 regulations were introduced by lawmakers, not all of which made it. House Health and Welfare Committee Chairman, Representative Fred Wood, declined to hear nine bills that were assigned to his committee, saying he profoundly disagreed with all of them. But some bills did make it out of the House State Affairs and Business Committees, leading to lengthy floor debates. Those ranged from parental rights to religious exemptions and workers' compensation. For over four hours on Tuesday, representatives debated on the House floor on the various bills. If you as an employer are mandating a vaccine and your premiums go up, well good, they're supposed to go up. If you don't like that, then don't mandate the vaccination. You know, our, 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 our business people, our owners and operators of businesses have really been uh, brought through the ringer, as have we all in the last year and a half, two years as we've battled this pandemic. Um, but I do not think we are doing the people of this state a favor by putting our businesses in a quandary where they have to choose between breaking state and breaking federal law. Religious freedom does matter. That's exactly why I'm opposed to this, because we're using it as a pawn in a political game on an issue that will be gone in five years to undermine a right that's been uh, inborn in our souls from the beginning of creation. We're using it cheaply. I believe we must do everything that we can to protect the First Amendment rights of the citizens of the state of Idaho. And I think that we need to send a very clear message to the businesses that want to do business here in the state of Idaho. We believe in the First Amendment. And we believe employees have a right to exercise that religious belief. People run for school board because they want to be involved in that lowest level of government that handles school policy. This takes that away from those school districts. This mandates us taking care of things that should be handled at the local level. And I believe that this should be handled at the local level. We have had exemption language for vaccines for children in our code for over 40 years without a legal challenge. That includes the exact language and exemptions that I am proposing here. So those are medical exemptions, religious exemptions, personal and philosophical beliefs exemptions with the two powerful words, other grounds, religious and other grounds, and finally, natural immunity. Representative Sage Dixon, the chairman of the House Business Committee, which heard eight vaccine-related bills on Monday, joined me on Thursday afternoon to talk about what transpired over the course of the week. Uh, what were your goals coming into this reconvened session? My goals were to hopefully get some legislation out that would offer protections for 
Uh, bodily autonomy is a term that we used a lot or that we heard a lot in these committees because I do think that's important of a person being able to make their own choices about what is in input into their body. And so there was a lot of fear and concern in my district and in districts throughout the state. And so I was hopeful that we would be able to agree on some legislation that would offer that to the citizens of Idaho. And then what were some of your concerns coming in? Concerns of, of government overreach, specifically from the federal government and how egregious that appeared of them forcing uh, employers to require vaccines of their employees upon the losing their livelihood. That's a serious consideration. Um, trying to rectify that uh, contradiction between private business and then personal rights, if you will, in, in that sense. And that's a, a tough ask sometimes. You know, philosophically, we talk about the free market, many of us do, but then there's also what is a, a higher value, the, the private right or the business right, and I was landing on that private right in that sense. So I think that those were some of the difficulties coming in of uh, just trying to balance all, all interests as best we could. And you were very involved in the process this week. You are the chairman of the House Business Committee, which heard a total of eight bills on Monday, um, all focused around vaccines. And of course, you don't have time here to go through all five hours of testimony, right. but across those bills and across the many hours of public testimony, what themes emerged to you? I think most of the themes were what I just stated, really. A lot of it was the, the deep concern and, and fear that people had about losing their job or something being forced on them or their family members that they didn't want to do. And uh, then there was some concern about what that policy would look like going forward that we'd heard expressed from legislators after people had testified or with the, the specific pieces of legislation we heard in doing that. Vaccines aren't something we hear about in the business committee quite a bit, but because those specific pieces of legislation touched the business community that we deal with, it, it came through our committee, which was sort of interesting. But um, I think most of the legislators were aware of, of what was at stake and were trying to make the best decisions. And, and it's always important to me that the public is heard. So that may have been why it went on a little longer. I do not like cutting off public testimony. And I try and be as generous as possible while maintaining the committee's attention and making sure we're not losing people. For sure, yeah, those marathon sessions can go on yes. for a while. Um, ultimately, you ended up passing, I believe it was three bills onto the floor and a number went for amendments. Correct. So, of course, this is an ongoing process, but do you expect some of these proposals to come up again come January when the session reconvenes? I do think so. Um, I don't know if they will be, well, they'll always be pertinent. It's important. This, this exposed another little weakness maybe in some of our state laws and something that we need to address. But a lot of the big push was the deadline that's coming up on December 6th for the CMS portion of the federal mandate and what that'll mean for a lot of healthcare providers here in the state and having to make that choice between taking the vaccination that they don't want to take or, or losing their livelihood in that sense. So there was a push to get things done by that point. That will somewhat be moot by the time we get back here. But I think going forward, we still need to put some protections in. And so the House did pass a couple of bills, but your neighbors across the rotunda in the Senate ultimately decided not to pass any bills. Um, were you disappointed that more bills didn't make it through the process on the Senate side or that nothing was passed? I was. I was hopeful we would get something done, that, that everybody would see the need of doing something, uh, maybe even lower level, but just giving some protection to the citizens of Idaho and to give that comfort in doing it. But as we were talking earlier, that's part of our process and we're not designed to move quickly all the time. And when we do move quickly, sometimes there's errors or, or wrong thing comes out. So um, our elected representation demands deliberation and of everybody having their input into what is coming out to govern the state. So I have to accept that. It's frustrating, but uh, that's, that's the way our business is done within our legislature. So philosophically, even though 
not a lot of new laws were put in place or a lot of official actions were taking. You think there was value in going through the process this week? I do. As when we're using the process as it should be used, then I think there's value. We're serving the citizens in that sense. Um, the House moved on some things and, and the Senate chose not to. And again, that's, that's our system and it is frustrating and I think we need to do things, but we have to trust what our founders of this state and the country gave us in that process and that's maintained us for so long. Well, the Senate um, was finished up for the year and wasn't intending to come back. The House did have some unfinished business to address this week. Um, you are the chairman of the House Ethics Committee, which authored a recommendation to um, censure Representative Priscilla Giddings earlier this August. Um, that was ultimately approved by the House after a very long debate on Monday. Can you give me an overview of this incident and what sort of message the House Ethics Committee wanted to send? Um, it was difficult. It's not easy. We don't ask to be on that committee. That's uh, Our peers elect us to that committee because of the trust they have for us and our judgment. And it's never anticipated to go to the extent that we had to go to this year. And um, that recommendation came after a long period of deliberation within the committee and was something that seemed to be appropriate for maintaining trust and, and honesty within the body in doing that. And ultimately that decision is up to the body. That's how our house rule is, is uh, structured, that it's not one person or one group, but it comes before the body. Is this how we want to be perceived to the public? That's how I read that rule. And, and so we as a committee are the first filter in making that decision, but ultimately it's the body. And is this, do we think this member's conduct is unbecoming and would reflect negatively to the public? And uh, that's, again, process. We followed our rules, it went through the process, and that's what I'm pleased with regardless of the outcome. And during the debate on the floor, some uh, representatives were trying to ask questions about that process that you referred to, um, but some the members of the committee declined to take those questions during the debate. Um, and you kind of referenced, this was a really fraught, emotions were high incident that the House Ethics Committee typically does not end up dealing with. So. Now that, the report, now that the report has been adopted and things are starting to move forward, how are the relationships within your caucus following the incident? Um, I think they're where they were before, Logan, I'll say that. Um, I had some members come to me that voted against the resolution and felt that they had to explain their uh, vote, and, but they didn't have to, and that's what I let them know that. That's up to them, they're responsible for their vote, and it's not for me to, um, well, we can have a discussion on it, but I, did, I didn't, wasn't holding anybody accountable for something. That is something that they can talk to their constituents about, and I don't question that. So I think there were probably some frayed relationships prior to that vote, but I don't think those have been frayed any further, <laughs> meaning that there are probably still difficult relationships there going forward, but I think there is a sense of relief from the body in general that, that now that's over with, because it was kind of looming over us for a little bit, and the fact that we're coming back to take on a very big topic for all of Idaho, and then we had to deal with this also, and it just added a, a very difficult dynamic, I think, to, to this week. Representative Dixon is also the co-chair of the regular Interim Committee on Federalism, which met on Thursday, investigating how federal actions comply with constitutional authority. You can hear my full interview with Dixon on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Idaho Reports. Once the bills passed the House, Senate committee chairs declined to hear several of them, and only three House bills were heard in the Senate State Affairs Committee on Wednesday morning, none of which made it to the Senate floor. By the time the dust settled, only one joint memorial passed through both bodies. Senate Minority Leader Michelle Stennett and Majority Leader Kelly Anthon spoke to Idaho Reports producer Ruth Brown on Wednesday after Sine Die. 
Senators, thank you for joining me today. Can you walk me through a little bit of what you expected coming in on Monday to this uh, extraordinarily long session? What did you expect coming into it? Well, I'll be happy to start. Um, you know, from the Republican side, the majority side, um, first of all, we expected not to be here. So when we uh, left the session last spring with a motion to sine die, we anticipated we would not be coming back to Boise. And that was really the plan. Um, what changed that primarily for the, the Republicans in the Idaho Senate were the orders of the Biden administration. And so those mandates that required private businesses to do vaccinations and, and the other mandates on uh, federal workers and such really changed a lot of the thinking of some of our, our, our members. And so they anticipated that we come back and we address that primarily. Uh, we did issue a press release that, that said as much. We, we really didn't anticipate doing a lot of other work than addressing the concerns that Idahoans have about vaccine mandates. We came back, we, we similarly didn't think that we needed to come back, that we had adjourned sine die, and when it became evident that we would, um, it was a matter of questioning, and we had, like the majority party, we um, got in front of the press and said, is this constitutionality? There's still ambiguity, ambiguity, so whatever we do might end up being null and void anyway. There's just not that security. So is it proper to come back, or should we, in a very short period of time, come back in January and address it then? And then we know that we're not going to have to do something redundantly if something is passed, that we're meeting the thresholds of what we know is proper. And so there was that question of, and why we made the motions we did on the floor, about whether it was uh, proper, because there were competing court decisions on that. That said, um, we also were concerned that um, there's the perception that we're a, a full-time legislature. When you look at one body only having recessed and the other one adjourning, technically we are in the longest session ever at 311 days. And so to the public, they're very concerned that if we're meeting, we're almost a full year, is this something that we're going to be doing habitually. And so there's the question of the constitutional amendment that is coming before the voters next year about whether it would be wise for us to have the autonomy to call ourselves back into special session for things. Because we would argue we probably shouldn't have been here. We could have waited to a session. We're already into our 311th day. Is that what the face of what we want to have the legislature look like going forward? And so uh, we um, spend a lot of money when we're here during session. It's $35,000 to convene. And I would argue that if we passed a joint resolution, which is the letter to Congress about their overreach, which is the one thing that we got accomplished, we spent $100,000 to say that. Is that appropriate? Is that good use of money? Um, it is something we could have said without coming in a, in a different fashion. So these are valid questions that we had and the public has that we need to address. And just my, my two cents, I, I agree. I think they're, they're very important questions. I think that all of us as Idahoans need to remember that the Idaho legislature is meant to be a part-time citizen legislature. If we stray from that, I think we're making a huge mistake for Idaho. Uh, that is one of the reasons why the Senate decided to go home after a very, very long session last winter. Um, I do also agree that we have to be mindful of what's going on for our taxpayers. Uh, it, it, it goes to the same argument, which is if we can accomplish that in a short period of time in the winter, we need to do that. And every session you have, there are members who go home and say, I didn't accomplish all that I wanted to accomplish. That's normal. And so we need to accept that is the process. That having been said, um, 
uh, the minority leader and I have just spoken about this, but there was value in this short three days that we were in Boise. And what, what that value was for me is it demonstrated how important the process is for Idahoans. It's so important that they be given an opportunity to know what we're doing, to weigh in on that, and to be a part of that process before we make decisions that are life-altering or that, that alter how business is done in Idaho. So uh, it's hard to put a price on any piece of legislation, uh, but that whole process, I think, really showed uh, how important it is that we do that for Idahoans. So we ended up um, having the opportunity, since we were here, to be able to have very robust discussions um, and a very, mostly in our committee, the Senate State Affairs, to allow the pub public to have the opportunity to weigh in on their, their worries, their concerns, the immediacy of the, the constraints that are against them. Good things that I think we learned from both sides. One of the things that came away from, for me, was the lack of information about what's already in statute, what's already there that people can go to. We already have religious freedom statutes. We already have um, uh, health freedom statutes. We do need to make sure they understand that there is a path forward, that they, we have good policy out there they may not have known about, but for some it wasn't working for them. So it's a matter of enforcement. Do, can we do something then um, to help make sure that what we have there is adhered to, is enforced, that, that it is serving the people that it was intended, intended to serve? And so those are the things that will come back in January to be able to use. It was extraordinarily important to do that. That said, much of what came to us was already being debated in federal court. And as was noted today while we were debating all this, there was a suspension of the uh, administration's policies and, and a stay before that. And so even though people may not think that that is important, we, it was in our favor if the states believed that that was the course that they wanted to take. The, the courts so far have already made that determination. So do we come back and unnecessarily? Because in the end, if we fight it, we're spending taxpayer money on something that's probably not winnable and we begin using taxpayer money to do something more, better for education or healthcare or infrastructure or whatever that is. And so wise use of resources, wise use of time, but in the end also if we were going to be here we need to educate both ways about what we do is impacting and, and how we can solve problems. Senator, you mentioned the process this morning in State Affairs. We heard testimony for more than three hours regarding uh, several bills that were addressing COVID vaccinations in one way or another. Um, did you learn anything from the testimony that um, we heard and anything that maybe you hope to address in January, even though you couldn't address it before today? Well, I absolutely learned uh, new things. And something I did not learn new is that politics and policymaking uh, create strange bedfellows. So as you listen to the testimony in Senate State Affairs today, what you realized was that the predictability sometimes that we, we assign uh, left-leaning groups or right-leaning groups as to what positions they'll take on policy was not there. Mm. Uh, th there was, uh, in many instances, universal across the political spectrum rejection of some of the legislation that had been advanced to the Senate for us to consider. And that was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, so uh, I think that the answer to your second part of your question is we still have a lot of these policy questions to tackle going forward. Uh, this was certainly not uh, a resolution or an end to a lot of the concerns that Idahoans have about um, mandates, 
potentially losing their jobs because the Biden administration has advanced these mandates and the, and the related issues that go along with that. So you will see those issues come back in the next session. So policy um, is hard to explain. You can get pretty wonky with it. But it's important for people to know, and this dialogue came up in our um, State Affairs uh, Committee meeting today and yesterday, is we have to look at it from a 30,000 foot level. We have to understand that whatever we pass can't be for a small faction of people. It has to, nobody's rights are any more important than another person's rights. And that's very hard to legislate or create policy for. But we have to look at it that you and I may disagree about what this policy should do for me, but they're valid, equally valid. And so when we go forward, we hear you, but you can't move forward saying, but uh, my right is so important, why don't you hear me? And understand that then you take it away from somebody else. And there's no perfect solution, but if we're trying to, to do policy that will improve and be useful to at least the greater whole. Um, it can't be just a small marginalized group, it has to be the greater whole. And, um, but everybody deserves to be heard and everybody deserves to be represented. So it is a, this, this blend of lines in order to do policy that isn't trying to, we win or you lose, or it's us or it's them, which politics always wants to push towards. It's a much more um, collaborative, um, concessionary uh, type of process where we're gonna agree on pieces and we're gonna disagree on pieces. And, We'll agree whether that is useful or that's not useful. And you heard that when, when if you listen to testimony and, and our comments to it, trying to un make them understand that we are not here to hurt you. We're here to do something that's useful to you. And so um, it, I think people don't realize, I like to tell the majority leader that people don't realize about 80% of what we do in the legislative sessions, we do very well together. We do it across party lines, we do it across houses. Um, but about 20% is what you hear all the time because it's where we differ. And that's always gonna be happening in good democratic process because we don't come from the same demographics, we don't have the same religions, we don't have the same issues that we care passionately about. And so we're always gonna be at odds to a certain degree to a certain percent. But give us some credit for all the good work that we really are trying to do well together for the betterment of our constituents. Well, in the process that entails and encompasses um, civil disagreement, is a process that produces good policy. I mean, some of the worst laws I've ever seen, ordinances, policies that have ever been written, have been written to these narrow set of facts that then once you get down the road, you realize, golly, we didn't think of that. And so, again, back to the, the process that you asked about, what's so great about it is, is not only do your legislators get to hear about concerns people have about particular language, but those who are advocating a certain position get to hear their, their opponents argue those positions that uh, are contrary. And if you really want good law, good policy, and a good way forward for the Idaho people, that's what you do. And to be honest with you, that's one of the concerns about the, the mandates, because there is a feeling that they're unilateral executive orders without that process. And so I think that's why it was so important for Idaho's uh, Senate to get together for these last three days. But we also have to remember that much of what we were talking about um, was already a, not a mandate. Some of those pieces were, you're, you're misinformed or we need to let you know that this piece of it isn't mandated. Those are choices. Um, but what I was very pleased to see, because it's a very passionate, people were very passionate about what was happening to them and should be, that it was so civil and respectful. So grateful to see that people could have really, really passionate, good dialogue and still understand that we're all trying to do our best work while we're sitting in the room.
The leaders also talked about the importance of civility and respect when legislating. You can hear the full interview on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Idaho Reports. And there's a lot more detail covered from three days and many hours of hearings on our podcast. Ruth Brown and Melissa Davlin join me just after adjournment Wednesday afternoon to discuss the extraordinary week. And we have more online about the week's events on the Idaho Reports blog. You can find all of those links and more at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. And while you're there, sign up to receive our weekly newsletter right to your inbox. The 2022 legislative session begins in less than two months on January 10th. Thanks so much for watching and have a happy and safe Thanksgiving holiday. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.